Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition episode of No Me Digas. In this episode, I talk with Filiberto about the recent tragic event that happened in El Paso, Texas, and also other events that are happening around the United States. We discuss the effects it has on us personally and our community, and also the importance of speaking up about these events. So as always, thank you for your support. I thank you for listening, and I hope we all learn something from this experience. Okay, thanks. Bye. What are you drinking? Made like a Bloody Mary. Ah. A Bloody Maria, if you will. It's like it's 11. Yeah, that's when you're supposed to drink a bloody Mary. That's true. That is true. It's Saturday. It is Saturday. I just have, I have to go to work. So. Yeah, I mean I don't. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um. Hello, Tor. Hi. How are you? Uh, in what context? You're in what? In what context? Oh, in what context? I heard you say in white context, and I was like, oh, please explore that. Not <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm not that profound this early. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, well, how are you right now? How are you feeling? I'm doing the questions today. Oh, right. Sorry. Perdón. Uh, Continue. <laughs> well, so, okay. Uh, for context, so we both ended up getting interviewed for an article about the Latino response to the mass shootings. Yeah. Which actually, first I want to point out, they did say Latino, and I kept saying Latinx, and just, yeah. he had no clue. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I might just email him about that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's not a hard thing to do. No, um, and again, like, I still want to explore the Latinx word, but I mean, for right now, like, that is what I want to use. That's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, which it it sucked um, in a way because I I've been talking about the El Paso shooting since Saturday, uh, like every day since Saturday. Um, and we're we're physically in Minneapolis, but you're from El Paso. Mm-hmm. I'm from El Paso, um, and from the Lower Valley, and it happened in the Lower Valley. Um, so I mean, it was it was super close to home. Um, a friend of mine was actually planning on going to the mall that day, but since her daughter wasn't ready on time, they didn't go. And so just dealing with the fact that people I knew, people that I love were going to be there, the possibility of them getting killed is, is, it's awful. It's, um, it's this feeling that you can't, I can't shake off. And uh, it's 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 problematic. It's not. I'm not able to function properly. Um, I had to like leave work the other day for like an hour just to go walk around. And luckily, I have just to cool down a little. Yeah, bit. I mean, yeah. luckily I have a boss that's like cool with it, and um, they understand what's going on. But this shouldn't happen. No, yeah. I shouldn't need to take an hour long break just to calm down. Just to be able to sit in an office, right? When in reality, like you know it. Nothing has happened, you know, to my family. Nothing has happened to my friends. But it's just, it's just the idea 
of the, of them getting hurt, of them no longer being with me, is scary because we are being targeted. Our community is being targeted, and it's coming from all over. Um, so when talking to people about El Paso, um, you know, they, they keep saying, oh, you know, you just, you never know. You, you didn't think that it would ever happen here. And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't really shocked. You know, it, it could happen well, there, anywhere. There's an obscuring of our day-to-day reality, right? Yeah. Like, um, you and I aren't immigrants, but certainly we're dealing with the headlines around family separation. Mm-hmm. I work in asylum cases. I see the way people are treated in courtrooms that are pursuing um, their safety in the, within the judicial process, whatever. Like, we have never been safe. And, no. Um, I think that's the one thing I thought a lot about. Because there's, there's a certain degree of, of childhood harm I think a lot of us navigate, having been poor or having been exposed to more violence as children. Yeah. And so there's always, like... A, there's always uh, a remembrance of that uncertainty, of that insecurity of, of a child growing up. And, yeah. And now we have to face a real, like, tangible threat from a guy that explicitly said he wanted to kill Mexicans. Right, exactly. And he did kill Mexicans. He did kill Mexicans. Right. He drove... He wasn't even from El Paso. He drove from Dallas, Texas, which Dallas is it's pretty racist. <laughs> I've been to Dallas a couple times, and I was like, oh, wow. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful city, but yeah. Um, just, but just the fact that he drove to El Paso because he knew that's where most Mexicans or, you know, majority of Mexicans lived. Um, it's disheartening. It's, it's awful. Just the, the commitment and like that, that, that sort of speaks to, and there was an article that talked about how, um, how like it wasn't like a lot of these attacks, a lot of these like gunmen have, have targeted people, they had a, they had a vendetta against people close to them yeah there's some issue of people close to them and they were taking it out obviously in really corrupted and, and messed up ways but this guy was like he was not even from El Paso he has no connection with Paso no he just I, thought it was a convenient target for his political agenda right and um they keep um and of course like they keep blaming it on um on mental illness right <laughs> but again it's yeah it's it's a mental illness issue if you're white, right? You know, if you're a person of color, then you know you're you know you're fine. It's a it's a manifest. Well, if you're a person of color, we're receiving it as a manifestation of the hostility that that we deal with every day. Right. Yeah. Right. This guy is just manifested like the way we get treated, the way the president talks about us as rapists and terrorists or whatever he says. Yeah. And. Um, and that's one thing, because everybody keeps blaming Trump. You know, it's all his fault. You know, he's spreading all this hate. Which, I mean, I agree to a point, but I just think it's just, it's too easy to just blame one person. Right. I mean, yes, he is the president, but, I mean, there's a lot of people that work for him. There's a lot of people that influence him. So, I just, I'm so sick of talking about Trump. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's our reality. But I just... I just, I think people just need to realize that we need to stop blaming this one person and just blaming the systemic issue that it is, is that racism has always been, you know, an issue. It's just that now with social media and technology, like, we're more aware of it. And, um, and it's just, we, we just keep, 
like we just keep re- like feeding into this media like we just we keep we just keep reading it and we we don't I feel like a lot of us don't really we don't really do anything we just kind of like we read about it and as long as we like we know about it then you know we yeah, we share it on Facebook or yeah whatever. we share on Facebook and like that's how we're doing our part you know yeah. but it's just it's gotten to the point where I just we need to do more uh what is it that we need to do I don't know uh, um I can hear your socks by the way Oh, you can hear my sound? Oh, God. Yeah, really Weird. <laughs> Mike picks up random stuff. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I'm just going to stay like, what still. Is that, what is that sound? It's oh, socks. It's Tor rubbing the socks. Rubbing the socks. Rubbing the socks. I'm nervous. Why are you nervous, Tor? Well, because talking about this is is nerve-wracking. Um, and it's also annoying, but it's also important. And I'm glad I'm doing it because I... I'm I'm sick of what's happening, and a lot of us are. It's I just I, I'm tired. Well, it is a strange dynamic that like your your perspective has greater weight or importance because you are from El Paso, right? Yeah. There's it it makes sense, you know, and there's legitimate you have a con- legitimate sort of fear and anxiety about it and a proximity to the issue, but it's there's something just weird about the way journalism sort of shapes a narrative and gives importance to specific people based on these kind of yeah goofy things right? yeah because we're all feeling it certainly you you have closer proximity right but we're all feeling it really intensely and that's the point is that like it isn't just about people from el paso it's about all of us it's about the day-to-day anxiety that i fucking feel now yeah it's, it's about the fact that we have to have an active shooter training or we're thinking about having an active shooter training at the brewery because it's a big visible latino space latinx space yeah well, now they have backpacks. They have bulletproof backpacks on sale at the stores. Yeah, right. Which, I mean, that's a scary thought. But at the same time, I thought, how expensive are those and who can actually afford them? Do they actually work? Like, what? Right. So that's, 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 that's another question that I have about these backpacks. Well, it's like after 9-11, they would sell those, like, emergency parachutes out of a building. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll pass wouldn't have them, but, yeah. Right, but the profiting off of fear and yeah. the profiting off of, like, a tragedy. Yeah, that is fucked up. That's weird. Even t-shirts. So there's a t-shirt oh, going no, around. No. It's called, it's, it says El Paso Strong, you know, and... Yeah. And I know... It's like a common thing now, boxes, yeah, right? all these things. Right. Something happens, make a yeah. t-shirt. And I know some of the manufacturers are from El Paso, so, you know, at least it's going to some... Local... Else. It's going to local thing. businesses. But then, uh, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that some other company started, like, basically stole, like, the whole logo and, are, and started selling their own shirts. So... <laughs> I was like, so, what the fuck? Why are you trying to market this tragedy? But then again, I was like, oh, that is what's, that is what it's called. Capitalism. Right. Fucked up. Well, it just, it just mocks. It mocks what's happened. It mocks, like, the individual experiences that are happening. It doesn't make it easier. No. I have to see a t-shirt to remind me of how my community is targeted. Like, Yeah. It, I don't know how to make sense of that. I... I... I can't. I thought about buying one, but I was like, well, no, I just, I, no. Not in my home. Not in my, well, but it's just, well, no. Like, well, it's why? like the weird flag waving after 9-11. Right, exactly. Right? So I'm going to wear it, and of course people are, I mean, random people I'm sure are going to be like, you're so brave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're so brave. Well, Thank so, 
let's talk about that for a second. So, like, I think the way I've described, I described like my feelings after the massacre is is a um, is the grief, the grieving that uh, I felt after my parents died, and they weren't in a shooting or anything. It's just they died, and it was difficult. And um, and the, I've also had to experience the same awkwardness of people not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a there's a specific conversation I think both of us want to have with those folks, right? Like, we appreciate your well intentions, but like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what is this about? Is this about your own discomfort? Is it actually trying to comfort us? It sounds like the neighbors' air conditioner just went on. Ah, the neighbors' air conditioner. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. That means it's still summer. <laughs> Let me at least close the window. All right. Okay. Well, it's also, we live in a house with no air conditioning, so... Yeah, keep it real. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the there's a certain conversation we want to have with folks that are, are well-intentioned, they're caring, they're just completely lost about how to how to, how to to hear and listen as yeah. to what we might need. Yeah, I mean, and that's like, that's like a slippery slope because it, it, I feel like there's a, there's a specific borderline there um, because I've, in the past, like, what week I have experienced um people genuinely concerned and like right. really you know really really do care uh for you know for me and like what's happening but then there's other people that just randomly just you know come up to me and they're like oh like you know my heart goes out to you and all of Texas you know <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I was like oh, okay cool um Thumbs up. I don't even know what to, you know. <laughs> high five. High five. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, so, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of people out there that just, you know, they just, they feel like they need to say something, you know, so that way, you know, everyone knows that they are aware of, you know, the issue and they, right. they care. There's, you there's, know? A, there's a lot of flowers in the house there's right now. There's a lot of flowers in the house. Well, I mean, I, like, I remember after my mother died in particular, because it was so difficult, because she had breast cancer, people would always ask, if you're like, oh, how are you doing? And I'm like, obviously not well. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is the point of this question? Right. You know? But I, I, I do think that's also, like, it's a, it's a, culture, it's a cultural thing, though, because, you know, of course, Mexicans don't act like that. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, like, white culture, I've come to realize that that is how it is. That they just... Yeah. They feel that they have to say something. Like, it's an anxiety response. Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. Right. So, again, so, I mean, I, was like, I can't blame them for it. It's just, it's very obvious to me. Like, I can tell who really cares and who doesn't. Right. You know? Just just by way of, like, having a call in and not just a call out, what do you think is a, is a preferred response? Or what is a better way of approaching you or anyone else that's struggling right now because of it? I... I would say just, just, just treat me like you would on a nor- on a regular day, you know. Um, yeah, ask me how I'm feeling. Great, you know. Just, I just, I personally would prefer somebody just to talk to me, um, just about stuff and not necessarily about what happened, but just talk to me because, for me, that's. I mean, it helps me because it keeps me somewhat distracted and in a way, you know, like, I'm, because if I'm constantly thinking about this, then it would be helpful to have somebody distract me and talk about something else for a change, you know? Um, but I just, because I'm starting to feel like I'm a victim, you know, and, and the thing is that makes it even worse, because right. I'm not a victim. 
um, you know, and I, I'm very, very fortunate and very, there's so much gratitude in the fact that knowing that nobody that I knew died and it just, I mean, of course there's guilt to it, but I mean, I was raised with guilt. That's a whole other episode, you know? <laughs> um, there's a certain survivor's guilt that comes out. Sometimes. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it's also one of those things where, I mean, I wasn't there, you know, like right. my loved ones are and were there, you know, but I, I wasn't. And so it's just kind of like back off, you know, like I am, <clears throat> I'm not a victim and yeah, I'm not okay. And I appreciate all the concern. Um, but I think if, if you really do want to help, then maybe we should contact our government. <laughs> you know? There's some good websites out there, like yeah. indicating yeah. where to donate money to. Right. Yeah. Like there's been there's there's a lot of movement happening. There is a lot of movement, which is great and it's awesome. Um, I just think we need to we need to hear more of that, and we need to shed more light on the movement and all the organizations and all all the good that's happening instead of focusing on all the bad. And of course, that is really hard to do. But I just I think we need to find a way to focus on other things and focus on making a change. Right. I love that meme that's going around. It says thoughts and prayers and it's scratched out and then it's a change in policy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, Yeah, this isn't the first conversation we've had about gun control policy and there's no, no movement. No, and even fucking Walmart, they like, they stopped advertising all the video games and and shit, but yet they're still selling guns. Yeah, and sorry, sorry, uh, Republicans, this isn't about video games. Yeah, exactly. Let's like, not, stop. Let's not obscure this. Yeah, stop blaming stupid shit, you know, and do something about it. Um, we do need to. We need to regulate guns. Like, we need. We need change. We need policy change. Yeah. Why, like, why does somebody just like you know a random person own? Uh, what is a sniper gun? Is that what they're called? Uh, I, mean, I don't even know what they're uh, called. A rifle. We'll just call it a rifle. Like, why does just like an average Joe have a rifle? Well, this was this was this is like part of my brother-in-law's family. They they go shooting a lot. Right? Yeah, they go shooting game, and they're licensed and have all the permits and things. And certainly living in Minnesota and appreciating the hunting culture, Ugh. but mm. no one needs high caliber weapons. No, like that's that. Can we we can agree on that, can't we? Yes. No. So sure. Fine. Have some guns. You know. Go do your shooting. Right. Lock up your guns so your kid doesn't. You know. Because those the stories of like little kids shooting their parents or themselves on mistake. Because those are just really disturbing. Yeah. So lock up your stuff. Whatever. But nobody needs high caliber guns that can shoot a hundred bullets in however much time. Like. Right. We can agree on that. Yeah. I think. Does Walmart sell those? No, they don't sell <laughs> no. those. I was like, did you get it at Walmart? You can't get a high caliber. I don't think so, at least. I haven't been to Walmart. I'm not sure. I don't go to Walmart. Let's do a little experiment uh, and go. Because... Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't go to Walmart because it's so inconvenient here because it's so far away. Which is weird. Because in El Paso, they're everywhere. Yeah. But here, I guess because of Target. But anyway. Um, it's... It's in, it's insane to me, but yeah, this isn't anything new. That's the thing. There's there's really nothing new about it. Um, yeah, it's been going on for years. Well, I, yeah. So like the the one of the big things is like a, a lot of the articles initially about it didn't mention that he was a white supremacist explicitly choosing to kill Mexicans, and I think there's a there's a real injustice that journalism does our community when they don't name that because by not naming white supremacy, we're further 
we're further in danger. Yeah. Because we're not naming what's actually happening. There's yeah. that. And there's just the obscuring of the history of the relationship that the federal government has or vigilante groups have with the Mexican community. There have been lynchings of Mexicans. That was a common feature in Texas, and the Texas Rangers were involved in that. Uh, family separation. Our natural, like, U.S., uh, U.S. citizens of Mexican heritage were deported during the 1940s. Like, that is not something that's widely recognized yeah. or known. We have been targeted since this country's founding as well, mm. or at least since the, since the country went into the Southwest and took lands from Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, so we've always been targeted. I just read an article, which I think I read it a, a long time ago, and I just reread it recently about the uh, the powder baths that you that they used to mm-hmm. make Mexicans yeah. take. Yeah. So when you used to cross, when you would cross yeah. the border, they would they would shower you in powder, yeah, like sterilize you. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what? Because our bodies were considered public health concerns. Yes. So, and we don't we don't talk. That's not. We don't learn that in our history books. No. Um, I, I took Texas history in seventh grade because that's that was you know that's what you did in seventh grade, and I mean there was hardly any mention of Mexicans. Well, I mean, one of Jim, the books in Professor Bethenio's chapter talks about the formation of of ICE or INS and the and just like the atrocities that were happening in San Diego, the raping yeah. of Mexican women. I mean, all these different things. <clears throat> yeah. It, the terrorism against our community remains unabated. Yeah. That's and, the reality that we face every day. And it's just, it's getting worse. And I, it's just, it's getting harder and harder. It's getting harder and harder to get up, to be honest with you. Thursday, I was not okay. Like, I mean, I told you I got up at 11 and you were like, 11? And I was like, I'm not okay. <laughs> I, was like, I'm I wasn't not. that, I wasn't trying to shame you, Tor. Like, uh, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> your characterization of me is inaccurate. No, thank oh, you. sorry. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm the one holding the microphone. You can't be saying crazy stuff like that. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> Seriously, though, it's like, we're not okay, you know? I just, I think it's a similar feeling... For me, it's a similar feeling to when Trump was elected, and then I'd look around to a white room, and I'm like, which one of you all voted for him? Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm just on edge all the time right now. Um, and I, don't, I don't mean to, like, I don't know. I don't want to say that, like, everyone's, I don't know, whatever. Like, I'm just fucking nervous right now, and I'm anxious. Yeah. And I don't know when I walk into a room who sees me as someone that needs to be killed. I don't understand. I don't know what's happening in people's minds. But I know that people are encouraged to be aggressive towards our community and to harm us. That's what's really alarming. Yeah. it. I mean, yes, it really is. I, I remember, well, yeah, the day after Trump got elected, just walking into, I was living by the wedge, you know, the co-op, and just walking into that space was, it was terrifying. It was so terrifying. Walking outside is terrifying. And it took... It took a while to shake that off, but of course it's coming back. That fear is coming back. And I realized that it's, in a way, it's always been there. Yeah, because, like, you know, Minnesotans really anchor their identity around... This is what I learned in my reporting about Seward. They anchor their identity around the institutions that they think are liberal or progressive or care about organic or whatever. And what I learned in my reporting about Seward is the intense hostility that they have towards workers, the prejudicial, the prejudice they have towards communities of color and the way... In the way their hiring practices are, in the way they stock items in the store, 
in the way they talk to people of color, in the way they refuse to have a language other than English in everything. Mm-hmm. Like, that is hostility towards us. That is a prejudice towards us, mm-hmm. wrapped in words like organic and equity. Yeah. And that's what makes it hard for us to function. Yeah. Is the places that are supposed to be kind to us ended up being, end up being some of the most hostile. Well, I feel like most, a lot of organizations here in the Twin Cities um, only hire people of color because that's kind of like the thing to do, <laughs> you know? Like, right. And yeah, it's under the umbrella of diversity, but in reality, they don't really care. Inclusion. Yeah, we're just, we're just numbers to them, you know? And I'm not talking about every organization, but there's a lot of organizations I've worked for in the past that, that was, I was just a number to them. Like, they didn't uh, really care, and they uh, didn't really care what I was going through. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's reflected in what's happening. So, like, just to tie it back to what's happening, like... There was a great article the other day about how not, very few of the headlines that talk about this massacre identify the fact that this guy was killing Mexicans or wanted to kill Mexicans. No. And that's a reflection of the fact that there's very few Latinx journalists in major newsrooms. And I'm one of them, in this state at least. And I don't necessarily write about... Um, it. Writing about it didn't necessarily make sense for my journalism, so I really didn't. Right. And I don't think I could have either because it's so emotionally jarring and demanding for me. Yeah. If somebody, if a, if I was working for a white newsroom and an editor was like, "Hey, you should do the story about the massacre," I'd be like, "I don't think I could do that. I don't think I'm emotionally capable of doing that right now." No. And I feel like it's all a mind game, you know. Like, the government knows what they're doing, and it's and that's I think that's like what the scary part is is that like they know what they're doing, they know what's going on. Yeah. Well, there, there, was, there were reports, there's now reports about the gunman's parents calling the police about him. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Because they were concerned about the, the amount of guns he had. <laughs> like, uh, but instead they, like, profile uh, Muslim folks. Right. right. Like, there's a, people keep saying we need more domestic terror laws. I was like, no, we don't. No. I don't need the government having more reason to come at me. We just, yeah. you just all need to stop protecting white supremacists. Right. That's what, that's what the problem is. That is, that is the issue. We need to stop, well not we, but you need to stop protecting white supremacy. We need to change white supremacy. We need to bring it down, but of course we can't. Um, and the thing is, we're not even outnumbered. That's the thing. Like, we outnumber them. That's the confusing part. And I think, and that's also where the fear is coming from. And that's why it's getting worse is because, well, not, in, I'm going to generalize this, but white people are scared that we're taking over. There's a, there's a, there's a yeah. strong segment of the population that has these nativist ideas and, and are buying into this narrative. I did, I mean, I did eventually read his manifesto and like, that's a big part of it is, is, this idea that we're taking over and whiteness is going to lose its power. Yeah. Which, of course, it's it's mirroring the Holocaust, which is which is also even frightening to think about, um, because it's a, it's reality now. Like we are living in another Holocaust. Yeah, it's a really intense end. Frank quote. It's been flying around. Oh, I saw that. Like, oh, I was like, oh god. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, I'm always really careful about comparisons of the Holocaust just because of the, there's a bunch of reasons, but as a scholar of genocide, I can say that 
uh, what we're dealing with mirrors dynamics that were at least existing in Guatemala that I know about, right? Yeah. That I've studied, that I'm a scholar of, that I'm an expert on. Yeah. And uh, it's confusing. So people getting taken out of their homes late at night, people taking out of their workplaces, and their children left alone. I mean, the same day that Trump gave a speech saying we need unity, there's 690-something people taken mm-hmm. out of jobs in Mississippi, Latinx folks yeah. primarily, it seems. Yeah, so many children were left without their parents. Like, yeah. I, and they're being what they're at a school right now, um, being taken care of by strangers. Yeah, <laughs> this is really fucked up. Yeah, that harm doesn't heal. No, at least it doesn't heal easily. No, it, and I mean, and we still have, we still have children in cages. Um, we still have the concentration camps. Uh, I mean, and yes, we talked about this the last time. I guess eventually all of it will go away, but... Maybe. Like, I don't know. That is true nowadays. As long as there's just... private prison companies making money off this shit, they're not, it's not going to go away without a fight. I mean, that's the hard thing is, like, once you institutionalize something, it's really hard to turn it back. It's really, really hard to, like, just scale back some of the things that are happening. Yeah. Well, I... There's also, well, I mean... I don't want to be defeatist about it. I just want to say that, like... I'm just trying to say that, like... It's not preordained that it goes away. Yeah. I wouldn't say you're being defeatist about it. I would just say it's a... It's a reality that could... That, you know, that could happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> unless we take a lot of action, you know? Um, unless we take a lot... Yeah, unless we do something. But again, I just... I... All I hope is that we just, we stay knowledgeable and eventually we'll come up with a solution. We just have to, like, we we just have to stick together and build community. I think that, I mean, this is, this is like, I think ultimately the the biggest message for me, for like folks that aren't directly impacted by this, but that want to be involved is like, we are further harmed when folks are so like mute or like just so like they're so afraid of facing the reality that they don't do anything they're so afraid of facing the reality that they don't read an article from Tina Vasquez or Aro Bogado outlining what's happening yeah right they're so afraid of like dealing with the reality that they don't read one of my articles about what's happening in Sherbourne County and their relationship with the deportation regime like I we need you all to like spend a lot of time facing the reality of what's happening yeah and figure out for yourself how you want to get involved but like you need to get involved somehow yeah. we all need to get involved and i don't i don't need to tell you what to do i don't need to this is the point of my journalism i don't need to tell anyone what to do but like just please don't say it's too hard to read those articles yeah. because it's harder to live this life it is just just thinking about um why a lot of immigrants move to this country you know for better lives, and yet, it's, it's... I don't know what was better for my parents. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what's better for my parents either. The way they were treated, the way my mom died, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is what I tell people too. I've been, I've been having to wrestle with the reality that both my parents passed away and I miss them, but I'm so glad they're not alive. To have to deal with this, to have to see this, to have to be worried about themselves and their friends and me. Yeah. Well... Siblings. My friend the other day, um, we had a conversation. She just, she couldn't believe that her daughter's growing up in this. Like we had a we had a long conversation about how 
she wants better for her kid and she just can't believe that she her daughter her nine-year-old daughter has to deal with this every day and she has to talk to her daughter about like you know if this happens if for some reason i'm not here like this is what you do right everywhere across across these lands our communities are having these conversations with each other yeah like is there an escape plan (laughs) no i'm not an immigrant but like uh journalists are being targeted they're being arrested they're being you know and i don't know that anything i've done like i don't know that anything i've done or anything i've written necessitates like the government thinking i'm a threat but I don't know. This administration is really arbitrary about who they think is a threat. So I don't yeah. know. I wonder one day if like just some federal authorities will take me in just because of something I've written. Yeah. They think is threatening, which I don't really think it is, but you know, whatever. It's not to say that like I think my journalism is so amazing. I just think that they're that paranoid and arbitrary. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean I also I mean I think about like this coming up election and if, you know, if we really do rise up and, you know, vote Trump out, is that how, how like, you know, how much better is that going to be? He's already caused so much damage right. that I don't even think a new president will be able to, like, well, it's an come in. it's an improvement, but yeah. I mean, it'll improve, but... He stacked the federal courts with his appointees, like, all sorts of MAGA people are in the administration. Yeah. The, the State Department just fired a guy, or investigating a guy, I don't think they even fired him. That uh, has very clearly uh, white supremacist leanings as of all the white supremacists, white supremacist organizations. Like, there's a lot of bad stuff yeah. all over the government. So we're fucked. Is that what it's going to well, let's try to let's try not to think that way. Well, I think I just the the point is though that like this is how you and I feel right now. Yeah. Because we're feeling a lot of pain and things don't look good. I'm, you know, in a week we'll feel differently, but yeah. like the point of this podcast at least is to try to reflect what we're struggling with and to communicate that and to share that in some way. Yeah. It felt needed. Cause it's really raw right now. It's really raw and nothing feels good. And that's what grieving feels like. Yeah. Not even tamales feel good. That not, even tamales not, feel not even tamales. Not even tamales. <laughs> not even tacos will. Not even tacos will soothe my pain. Oh my god! Oh my god! Did you hear that? Like the what is it? Like the owner of Taco Bell apparently Shut the up. Trump supporter. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that makes sense. Home though. Depot for sure. So I need to buy my hardware stuff. Home somewhere Depot else. is yeah, wow. Like, uh, that's German or something. Whatever. Yeah. They're yeah. addicted to Trump, you know? It's not just, like, uh, it's no. not ideological, really. No. There's something about him that really just, like, these, like, uh, perceived powerful white men are addicted to him. Well, because he's promising them money, like... Access, money. Yeah. They're addicted to the, yeah, they're addicted to the influence and the power. And yeah. He's just handing it out like it's pancakes. Yeah, that's what it is. Does that make sense, pancakes? Is that a good analogy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've never been handed out a pancake, but, <laughs> Um... <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, you know, it's it's very clear that like a lot of these Republicans like do these like gymnastics, linguistic, 
they do these linguistic gymnastics just to like of like defend what Trump says because he gives them access. Yeah. They're like, oh, the Trump, the president just misspoke. And I'm like, he what? He wrote that down. Like he didn't miss. Why? What? No, he has a Twitter. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> we he all knows, read he it. He knows what he's saying. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes I um I haven't done this in a while, but like I'll add President Trump just to see if like he'll share something or get mad about something I've said just because like it'll. I mean, I guess I'm kind of guilty of it too because I know if that he retweets something or comments something I say, I'll just blow up and get a thousand more followers. <laughs> Yes, use the man. <laughs> Try to at least. <laughs> I mean, everyone else does. Yeah, maybe maybe Fox News will talk about me. Oh and get man, the followers. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean that is the goal, right? <laughs> right. That's what's so that's what's so cryptic about it. Yeah. Well, that was so cryptic about talking to the NPR reporter. You know, I was like, oh god, I'm being. I'm being asked to talk about my experience. Yeah, he had a hard time with it too. Oh, he had a t- <laughs> He really did. Because <laughs> we're dropping some realness, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Damn, that sucks. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I really did want to ask. I was like, there is no Latinx reporter that could have done this. No, there really now. isn't. They just laid off like 10 people for <laughs> this week, NPR National. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just got told about that yesterday by somebody else. Well, they're foreign affairs correspondent or the national security correspondent, I think. Wow. No, it's rough in the news business these days. I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, I would. I'm an artist. <laughs> and that's a whole other episode that I don't even want to get into, but um, yeah. I'm glad we did this. Um, what other, I mean, what other, what other important things do we want people to know? What's <sighs> what? Well, that we exist, because we talked about this, how we're just being erased in the media. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, it's getting ridiculous. Um, and it, yeah, and I think, I think the big message for at least the Minneapolis audience is that, you know, including us doesn't just mean hiring us. It's giving us the authority to represent our ideas and ourselves uh, on our terms. Yeah. Right. Not within your framework. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, times are changing. Um, and actually, cause, so, I mean, I, I work in the theater industry and it's, it's becoming more clear to me, um, like what, what ways can we improve like the industry in itself? And I feel like this can, this actually should work or should be done you know, everywhere, but what's happening is that, um, like, the theater industry is allowing more people of color to be on stage, and a lot of, a lot of our stories are now being shown on stage, and it's, it's awesome, but, like, for me, just, like, watching these stories, there's still, there's still, like, a bit of whiteness to it that is not really, like, completely authentic. It's like the, it's within the white gaze. Yeah, it's, right? yeah, it's, a, it's within the white gaze. Because it's not intended for us. Right, exactly. It's still not, it's still not communicating to us. No, it's still not. I mean, it's, it's still like, it's all meant for like a white audience, but, um, what I realized is that the way to improve that is we just, we need, we need to have more people of color in charge. We need to have more people of color, um, making decisions, um, 
because it, it starts from like the top like we need people we, we need like the community to be on top and to be the one creating the art because that way they'll be creating the art not just for a specific gaze, but well, for everyone. Well, and, I, and, and doing, having done music production for a while now, I think one of the things that I hear from larger um, concert venues or bigger promoters is that they perceive supporting Latino musicians, Latinx musicians, as being a risk, right? Because they're like, oh, we won't fill the room and our budgets are so tight, we have to sell out. Yeah. And I think the point, the point of like a place like my original blog in Huateque and the reporting I do now in La Doña is that it is completely fine to create spaces and support spaces that are directly communicating with the Latinx folks. Exactly. Because there's enough folks that are just curious and interested that they'll show up. We don't have to constantly only speak to white people in order to fill the room. Right. There are also just enough brown people in this town that are hungry and thirsty for content. Exactly. It just needs to be marketed and targeted to us in a good way. Yeah. You have to have your marketing team also shift and change too and contract people like me and other folks that can do it right. Are you plugging yourself like a little bit? Hire me, and it's not just right. Hire me, but hire somebody like me that just has their their you know their finger on the pulse or whatever. Exactly. Well, that's the thing because that's the the, that's the thing I always struggle with is like we bring in Latinx musicians at bigger venues and then but their marketing team is still white or at least non Latinx and they don't they market it poorly and the room is empty and they're like, well, see, we can't do this ever again. Right. Well, it's like no, you just did stupid. You just did it wrong. You know. People are hungry for the content. I know. And that that's true. I mean, like, we 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 want more stories. Like, in terms of theater, we want more stories on our on stage. Like, we want to see ourselves on stage. I mean, granted, there's a whole other issue, like, on, on you know, about access and, like, you know, finance, because it's, right. it's expensive. All these but, things, sure. I mean, it, it's possible. We just, just, like, the higher-ups have to just be the ones to make, change and take a risk well and like it's like it's what black panther taught us right like i don't have a lot of problems with like the the narrative and the plot and whatever like that but you can have an afrocentric film that generates a lot of revenue Mm -hmm. like it's fine it works it can it can happen yeah you know like the the point is that like i guess the point is that like what white supremacy tries to do and what this dude this dude did in tech white supremacist in texas did is try to erase us and what we really need from everyone is to give us a chance to not be erased and not be invisible. Right. Because that's what's going to protect us. We're not a threat. We're not trying to take anybody's, like all that BS, right? No, we're not taking anybody's job, whatever. We just want to be, we just want to exist too. Yeah. But on our terms. Yeah. We just want to live our lives. We just want to live our lives. We want to be free. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good cheese ball. That's great. Libertad. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, all right. The wheels are falling off. Okay. Well, because again, we're not okay. We're not okay. <laughs> we're not okay right now. I'm all over the place. It's been a hard week. Yeah. So. Well, to do one last plug. So I, uh, we just want to remind everyone that I'm the editor of Workday Minnesota. And we just redid the website oh my God. on Thursday. The and logo's awesome. The logo's awesome. The whole thing is awesome. It looks gorgeous now. I would argue it's the best looking news site in the state. Yeah. Yeah, come at me if you want to argue. <laughs> I think it's true. So, you know, it's part of... So Workday Minnesota isn't necessarily focused on Latinx issues predominantly, but certainly 
I've shifted it a lot to talk more about immigration and other things. And so one way of supporting Latinx folks is supporting the journalism that I do, place other places that are supporting our community or focused on our community or are created and driven by our community. Like it matters. It does matter, right? It matters that like it more clicks and shares and likes so long as you think the stories are worth sharing. I don't want people to also give us charity either. Like if you think it's important, if you think the articles matter, please distribute them. And I think they do. And I think they're good. And so right now we have this giant thing about um, erotic dancers that is in lieu of an ordinance change in the city of Minneapolis. And I think that journalism really matters. Yeah, that's... I didn't know that article was happening. Oh, it's seven articles. Oh, seven articles? Look at the damn... I'm sorry. (laughs) I've been busy again. I'm not okay. (laughs) I've been busy to be not okay. Yeah, check it out now. I will. I will. Everyone check it out. Everyone check it out. That's my my personal plug. Do you have any plugs? Um, I I don't have any plugs, but I do do want to end the episode with how I like to end it is, you know, talk say something to the community and I just I just want to tell the community that yes we are living in a state of fear but we just we have to keep going and just don't give up and just live our lives because unfortunately living our lives is a form of rebellion so let's just rebel right I think I was thinking about this yesterday that one of the things I learned studying um, communities that were being targeted by the Guatemalan government and in association with the U.S. government is simply pursuing and living joy on a daily basis is a form of rebellion when you're facing state terror or um, white supremacist terror. So, can't lose sight of that. No. Right. Yep. Thanks, Tor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>